Shut up and sit down. Very girly drink. Oh, shut up, Grant. Welcome to another episode of the Superhero Movie Club, a community of superhero movie fans. All nerds welcome, but please... Wipe your feet at the door. I'm your comic book cultured host, Michael Mauer, joined by the movie maestro, James Skyler Houtsma, and our substitute scientific scholar, Grant Austin. Grant Austin, please read what is in blue on the outline. I don't have the outline in front of me. Oh, I gave it to you. I know. I, I fucked up. <sighs> My bad. We'll wait. Are you gonna? Are you opening it? I don't know where it is. I'm oh, it. would you like me to read this for you? No, I'll find it. Hold on. Okay. We have time. <laughs> I've never been asked to say anything else than my name before. I'm I know. We, we have new rules. <laughs> There's you a new told system. Me ahead of time. I gave you the outline ahead of time, dumbass. <laughs> I didn't read it. Oh, see? Now whose fault it is. <laughs> You didn't tell me I needed to read it. You told me come up with science stuff to talk I'm about. I'm sorry. If someone sends you an outline, do you just go, oh, I inherently don't have to read this because no one told me to? What kind of I ethics? I looked at the science part of it, it, and the science part was blank. So. Yeah, that's where you're supposed to put your notes. Yeah, and then I thought that can was... we get back on track here? I just sent you a picture of it. Oh, can we get back on track my here? My computer is being really, really slow and not opening my email. Open. Google Drive yeah, shared with me. Might not work. But no, my email won't open this email. Okay, there we go. Got it. Hold on. <laughs> We're so close. Listeners, so I'm, close. <laughs> you're just going to edit all of this out anyway. Oh, you don't know how much of this I'm going to edit because this is pretty gold right now. You are, you I are. Have, um, ben can't be I did here. Where quite a few times though, so. <laughs> oh, oh, that we, the we easy fixes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I got Dude, it. Would you like me to go it. ahead and read he's this? Got now? it. Okay. Take a, to take just, just breathe for a second and then <sighs> read it. SHMC is your premier movie discussion podcast. Every week we continue our journey exploring our favorite subject, superhero movies. Every fan sees the movies differently, so we gather some amateur experts to discuss certain aspects of the movie. Whether it's money, comic books, dismemberment, music, or science, SHMC talks all about it all in this week's episode. Justice League, Gods and Monsters. And yes, there will be spoilers. Or as I like Definitely to call it, Justice not League. Say dismemberment. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> we do not follow the outline exactly, Grant. It is why, it's why I have an outline. outline. Oh, my if you, God. It's base notes. If you bothered to listen to any of our shows recently, you'd notice that I put in an extra word in the, the intro. But no, that's that's clearly just... Do you call much. yourself a fan, Grant? <laughs> why are I'm you sorry. here? I'm sorry. <laughs> I get on my binges where I'll listen to like eight episodes in a row, and then I won't listen to it for like a month. Okay, that makes sense. That's how it works. In case you're wondering, listeners, Ben could not be with us this week. Uh, he has some school business that kept him preoccupied and unavailable for one hour this week. <laughs> um, so we have Grant returning to us from days gone by. 
Grant, how was life in Kentucky? Oh, it's great. And so let's get started talking about Justice League, Gods and Monsters. A nice little quick, short watch. Um, pretty recent animated movie. And uh, another one of DC's absolutely stellar animated films um, with... <laughs> I don't know who the director was, but you could, you know it's good when you see voice casting done by Andrea Romano. Uh, hey, that's we'll what talk, I'm talking about. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> but let's talk about let's 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 do some some first opinions. Skyward, what did you think of Gods and Monsters? Uh, Justice League: Gods and Monsters reminds me of those old uh, that old Marvel run, the What If, like where they would just have an alternate history going on. It's like, what if Superman was a marshmallow or something like that? Um, story's okay. Uh, voice acting is obviously pretty great, and it's just fun to see these alternate universes where it's like, oh, wait, what if Batman was actually a man-bat, only a vampire? And kind of just see where the uh, the different paths led to eventually get to what we know to be the Justice League. So, yeah, it's a fun one-off. Grant, how are you feeling about Gods and Monsters here? I really liked it. Um, just watched it for the first time a couple days ago, and um, this is my first real like experience with an alternate universe type deal, so I didn't know that that was going to be that way going in because the description I read just said an alternate universe, so I didn't realize that these characters were going to have different alter egos or anything, so I thought and that was really brutal. Cool. <laughs> yeah, when the first time Batman killed somebody, I was like, oh my god, that was kind of amazing. <laughs> I almost wish Batman did that all the time. But no, I thought it was really good. I didn't really care for who they ended up making the villain, and for such a kind of a stupid motive, motive I thought so I liked it really up until the ending, and then I just kind of thought the ending was okay. It could have been better. Okay. Uh, Justice League Gods and Monsters. First of all, I don't think... Usually when they do DC animated movies, they're based on a very popular comic book storyline. At least that's the current trend. And this storyline was by no means popular or even created uh, by and I'm not sure by the time this movie came out, uh, there were a couple shorts that were done beforehand. They were called the uh, Gods and Monsters Chronicles. There was one six-minute video introducing each character. The Wonder Woman one was really fun. It dealt with you know uh, uh, if if her and Steve Trevor just kept like having a macho contest. The Batman one was pretty dark, doing showing that this Batman is very willing to kill. And the Superman one was like heartbreaking, and absolutely, you just have to see the Superman one, and just like your your mouth will drop at the at how much story they jam pack into six minutes. But then there's the whole movie, and this movie is is like fantastic. I went and bought out some bought some comic books that were released with this with this alternate timeline. Uh, they used to call these storylines Elseworlds, uh, DC Comics. I don't know if they still call them that. They probably do. But anything that deals with just an alternate universe, and now we have Superman is is raised as a Mexican immigrant. Um, and what a, what's great about the movie is they did not mention at all 
where the original uh, other two would have been, where's Diana, the Wonder Woman, where's Bruce Wayne? Obviously, Clark Kent is just a different person, um, and we don't even see any Flash or, or Green Lantern, none of the big hitters. We see some all the scientists, the bigwigs. As for the plot, like I really liked how I was kind of kept guessing throughout the whole movie. I didn't figure out that it was the Metal Men. Shame me if you think it was obvious. Uh, but you're right, the motive was a bit wacko uh, because he just sort of snaps. You don't see how he's like... Um, He's really malicious towards Kirk until the very end. And he's like, yeah, I hit my wife once and she died and then I went nuts. I'll buy it, I guess. And you want to take over the world because of it? I really would have liked if he actually used that description verbatim. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And, And I really liked Lex Luthor in this movie. I think this is one of the best renditions of Lex Luthor ever. Uh, his combination with the DC character Metron a bit. I see they sort of mix those two together, but you've got this this obviously an unbelievably intelligent guy, but he's extremely crippled and he hates Superman, but he's not... He's there to help. He's just he's there for the human race, but he just resents that there's the big man in blue. Trevor, or, you ass. <laughs> lines from a kid's movie. This movie is placed in a kid's aisle. Okay, so there's no money stats to speak of for this film, which is a shame because it should have been released <laughs> in the big theaters. Not that anyone would have saw it, but it's still awesome. I'd say it's it's awesome enough. But we're going to talk about comic books and strap in. This is going to be a fun one because – I'm going to talk about where all of the inspirations, of course, to these characters that are introduced in the film come from. Uh, First of all, there's all kinds of cameos in this movie. You've got both Adams, Ryan Choi, and Ray Palmer. You've got Mr. Freeze. You've got every single scientist's character, Steele, Tio Moro, Professor Ivo, and I'm not going to talk about any of those guys because that would take me for. Ever. I'm just going to talk about all the characters that were really central to the movie and characters we're probably not going to see in any other films, either live action or animated. So first of all, let's talk about Becca or Wonder Woman, the new Wonder Woman, not Diana Prince, the one we know and love as usual. But This Becca was introduced in a DC graphic novel, number four, The Hunger Dogs, in 1984 by Jack Kirby. You saw in the movie that she is a new god, an alien of race, all of those new god characters invented by the legend Jack the King Kirby. And she is the daughter of the inventor of the mother box, a.k.a. Hyman. And that that plot line where she falls in, love with Orion and Orion dies is sort of reflected in her original origin story where she does fall in love with Orion and also falls out of love with Orion. Um, and and her father leads this sort of resistance against Darkseid, so she's very involved with the whole New Gods setting. Uh, but outside of that, you don't, like, she's barely, she's been in, like, probably four comic books, <laughs> I bet, until now, where she is reintroduced as Wonder Woman. They could have used Big Barda, who's a big, better, 
probably well more known comic book character of the new gods who wasn't even in this movie either. Next character, I'm going to talk about Superman or Hernan Guerra in this his name in this in this movie uh, adopted by the Guerra family of uh, Mexican illegal immigrants. We saw that in the beginning of the film and there's not much else to talk about because of course this is the first time we ever see this character and his um, introduction into this brand new universe. Uh, we could talk for days about Superman, of course, but I'm not going to do that because there's over 75 years of that to talk about. So let's move on to one of the more bigger favorites of the film, Man Bat, or well, the current Batman, Kirk Langstrom, who was, of course, known as Man Bat in the normal DC universe, uh, introduced in Detective Number 400 in 1970 by Frank Robbins and Neil Adams. And he's a villain similar to Spider-Man's The Lizard. Uh, a man going deaf wants to find the secret to sonar sense from bats. So he develops a formula, uh, injects himself with an early prototype of it, and it goes wrong, and he turns into this humanoid bat creature. Not like strictly human with bat features like he is in the movie, but straight up a bat. And this makes him go a little nuts. And he, when he becomes this this giant bat creature, he, he doesn't have a lot of restraint restraint and therefore he becomes a villain to the Batman but eventually he does develop restraint in a human brain because he's a, a scientist with a calculating mind and he sort of becomes an anti-hero much like the lizard where he sort of falls in and out of control of this superpowered identity uh, other things that separate him from the lizard though is that he manages to coax his wife into Taking the Batman, uh, taking the Man Bat serum, and therefore she becomes She Bat, and this mixes with I don't know why I never read that comic book, but that's just I, I don't know. There was maybe a good reason, but it sounds messed up. Uh, and this makes both of their DNAs sort of kerfudgled, and so when she has her second child, a son, uh, he's he has birth defects, and he's not going to be able to survive infancy unless they give him. The Man Bat Serum, which they do. <laughs> uh, Man Bat's a all sorts of messed up. And in this movie, he was <clears throat> all sorts of messed up because they just dumped – because he had cancer in the movie, and he was trying to develop a cure for cancer. A little bit more justified than taking an early serum because you're going deaf. So he essentially went from being a lizard parallel to a Morbius parallel. <laughs> yes. Although, yeah. Morpheus feeds on the plasma of your blood, and he didn't have any defects, I don't think. Did Morpheus have cancer? No? No, Morbius was just normal. Yeah, Morbius. Sorry, I said Morpheus there. Yes, the Matrix character. Next and last character I would like to discuss is Magnus and the Metal Men. They all appeared in Showcase number 37, way back in 1962, by Robert Kenniger and Ross Andrew. So you have Will Magnus, the world leader in robotics, known for his corncob pipe and his tweed jacket, just, just fun characteristics of the 1960s style. I thought you were going to say, and his button nose. Yeah. <laughs> that made out of coal. <laughs> 
He is a walking stereotype of the 1950s man. And so he builds robots, and these robots have a special component known as a responsometer, which allows them to adapt and problem-solve. It's, you know, respond to people trying to communicate with them. Uh, and this also gives them, this device also gives them a personality. And it's unclear whether or not the device inherently gave the robot sentience or if they just developed sentience on their own. There's a couple backstories dealing with it because, you know, DC changes their continuity about every 10 to 15 years, I'd say, where uh, <laughs> Marvel just keeps adding it on. Um, and now we have, uh, and that's basically all Will Magnus is, is. He's just known for that. He's the leader. He's he's seen as um, like a father figure to all the robots. Speaking of the robots, then we have the Metal Men, and I couldn't quote, I couldn't you know s uh, describe them any better than Wikipedia could. <laughs> so I'm just gonna quote exactly how they have because we have six robots. Who were we have the field leader gold, the strong man iron, the slow witted and loyal lead, the hot headed mercury, and the self doubting and insecure tin, and then finally we have platinum, aka Tina, who believed she was a real woman and was in love with Will Magnus. Each metal man uh, also possessed abilities that reflected the traits of their namesake metal so gold could stretch and form almost infinitely iron was super strong lead could block harmful radiation by morphing into thick shields and mercury could melt and pass through small spaces before reforming while platinum and tim could just stretch and flatten or spin into different filaments and stuff like that and they're all sort of fun and kooky and just in my the the way they're portrayed, they seem almost really overpowered in their ability to kind of do anything for being robots. They make multiple appearances in the cartoon Batman: Brave and the Bold, and that's a very campy, silver agey, kooky cartoon. Um, it wasn't, of course, made in the Silver Age, but it emulates that heavily. And when they appear, they it is like Will Magnus, 1950s. Hello, what a beautiful dame you have there. Uh, and the metal men just can like do anything, but they're all idiots. And that is the comic book section dealing with gods and monsters. In case you wanted some more context about uh, where these new Justice League comes from. So Skylar, talk about music or something new. Or will I? Okay. Uh, something a little different this time around. In light of talking about the score for Justice League Gods and Monsters by Frederick Weidman, uh, I'm going to take this time to talk about the voice acting in uh, Justice League Gods and Monsters. Why is that? <laughs> Not enough music? <laughs> Essentially. I mean, you know, the score to the movie, it's it it works just fine, and yet there is nothing to pick out that is like, oh, yeah, that's... I can spin ten minutes into that. Like a genuine music moment that can kind of be contemplated. It's all background music. It, it is, which, you know, is a side effect of having direct-to-video stuff most of the time. So, you know, score works for the movie. It's just not worth talking about this time. However, since uh, this uh, film has uh, some of its vocal 
uh, aspects in line with a lot of the other animated stuff we'll eventually be talking about. It's about time to give it its due here. Uh, specifically, uh, talking about this movie and the works of Andrea Romano, who's the voice director, and who has been the voice director of basically everyone's from the 90s childhood. So before I get into her varied body of work, um, standout voices this time around include uh, Benjamin Bratt, who has been in just just about everything, it feels like, as uh, Superman. Uh, Dexter himself, Michael C. Hall, is uh, Batman here around, which is a really kind of eerie yet fitting choice. And then uh, Jason... Jason Isaacs from uh, Harry Potter is uh, Lex Luthor, who has been in some other uh, DC animated universe movies. Particularly, he was uh, Ra's al Ghul in Under the Red Hood. Don't forget about Tamara Taylor. Oh yes, of course. Tamara Taylor plays uh, Becca as well. So. And what was she? What is she's known for? Uh, not Law and Order. Is it Law and Order? Uh, CSI. West Wing. Uh, a crime show? I swear, I know Tamara Taylor for something. Bones. I know this. Bones. It is Bones. Yes. Uh, there we go. I didn't. I honestly, I didn't recognize a lot of these voices outside of Michael C. Hall because he just has one note. He's just that <laughs> continuous monotone uh, that uh, fits him so well. Yeah, and then we have a couple of uh, DC animated veterans because, yeah, like you said, Andre Romano has done everything since Batman the Animated Series practically. Pretty much, yeah. Just a little bit of background on um, Andrea Romano and her work thus far. Most people will know her for uh, Batman the Animated Series, which spans out into the new Batman adventures, Batman Beyond, new Superman adventures, Justice League, Entire canon DC animated universe, but she's also responsible for um, other animated shows from that same time period, like Animaniacs, Pinky and the Brain. Uh, she did a stint on SpongeBob a few years later in the late aughts, and uh, every single Warner Brothers cartoon that came out in the nineties. Essentially, yes, that let's, is. Let's throw on Freakazoid. Freakazoid is there, um, <laughs> Sylvester and Tweety. You can go through the entire list, and then once you get to uh, the later years, uh, she lent her talents to another acclaimed animated series, Avatar, The Last Airbender, and its spinoff, uh, The Legend, Legend of Korra. So I don't think it's a stretch to say that she's probably the greatest voice director working in the business right now. Yeah. Um, well, it's certainly the most well-known among nerds, or oh, probably yeah. the most well-known ever, simply because of her repertoire. Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. And and our ages, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like you go you go back fifty years, and you're gonna have uh, people a lot older than us spilling out different names, but us, our childhood was formed by Saturday morning cartoons. It's it was a tradition. It's how it is just what what how the system was set up, and she was a person behind almost every single Saturday morning cartoon. Um, and there there are there are other people, of course, who are who are big into that as well. But in terms of this movie, Andrea Romano shows up, and it's like, 
you know it's good. <laughs> it's like, oh, thank God, I don't have to worry about anything here. <laughs> and then you have some of her favorites show up because when it comes to the DC animated universe, like a lot of people, you get a lot of reworked voice actors. Um, you get uh, Carrie Payton was in this movie and he's voiced Cyborg and different other characters. Uh, who am I thinking of that voices both Static Shock and Green Lantern? Phil Lamar. He's not in this one, I don't think. But Carl no. Lumbly is the voice of Martian Manhunter. Also voices Silas Stone. Oh, but, I did not notice that. Yeah. I double checked that one because <laughs> I, I I heard as I heard because you can hear hints of it if you've list, if you've if you've gone through as much DC animated television as I have or as you have as Grant has like you hear it all Kevin Michael Richardson is, is almost unavoidable oh yeah absolutely uh, D Bradley Baker who's <laughs> you know he shows up in basically every vocal. Uh, role these days is but he voices monsters he does but then he'll do regular voices too like he voiced uh Ra's al ghul in batman arkham city or um i can't remember his name offhand from legend of korra he was a bad guy in the first season <laughs> oh the one the, with the kabuti mask no his uh his brother spoilers uh, yep. <clears throat> Ooh. Well, okay. We might have to edit that. Because <laughs> we're spoiling Gods and Monsters, but we're not spoiling Legend of Korra. <laughs> no, right. Uh, Romano herself actually shows up in the role of uh, Ray Palmer's wife, briefly. <laughs> the vo- voice over the phone of Gene Loring? <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, man. See, that's just... It's it's filled with, like, nerd... Like, none of this information is particularly useful in your life. Well, I mean, the basis of this whole podcast until we get to science. Uh, <laughs> but, like... Coming up momentarily. Yeah, but there's oh, so... Oh, thanks. I'm glad you think my section is so useful. Everything everything expands, or just not expands, but interconnects so much in, in when you talk about cartoons and voice actors. Here's another uh, really cool thing to think of. Um She's done several of these DC Animated Universe movies, many of them being Batman movies, and has recast the role of Batman at least three times and found someone who fit the role pretty well. So, Well, you have Kevin Conroy, who's done it throughout the years, and this Batman um, is a different Batman, so it's natural that you're not going to get Kevin Conroy for this role uh, and you get the wonderful Michael C. Hall. And we'll talk about, I guess, later when we come around... Well, we talked about Bruce Greenwood in Batman Under the Red Hood, partially. Mm-hmm. And, and then... Uh, ben, ben McKenzie. McKenzie. Yep. And then there was... Uh, who was the third one for Batman versus Robin? It was... Wait, is that the Jason same O'Mara. like person who voices Jim Gordon in Gotham? Who yes. is Jim Gordon in Gotham? Jim Gordon, yes. That is Ben McKenzie. Wow. That's awesome. He's also voiced Batman. Um, and there's, yeah, there's a, there's, you could go on for days with this and connecting everything. It's honestly, it's fun. We should make a game out of it soon. <laughs> but uh, Skyward, is there any, any more uh, voice casting sounding information you'd like to get out to our fans? No, I just implore people to uh, pay attention in the, in the opening credits, see who does your. Um... The voice casting for your favorite animated shows and uh, find the connections yourself because oftentimes you will find there's some pretty unique talent out there. 
Mm -hmm. I think eventually what we're going to do is we're just going to try and connect and, and point out all of the other movies that these voice actors have been in, which are also superhero movies. And here we go. Benjamin Bratt, voice of Superman, also in no. Catwoman. Oh, there it is. <laughs> As the main love interest of Catwoman. Ouch. Obviously, this one a step up. <laughs> Ten years later. Um, all right, then. Enough of music and voice. Let's move to science and facts. Grant. First of all, thank you for uh, stepping in. Oh, no problem. I love being on the podcast. Oh, um, he says so. Okay. You said that just like Michael C. Hall would say it. <laughs> Oh, yep. you know, normally science is written down on the outline, and I sort of, you know, ease into it. But you chose to do your own thing. Um, so, I sent you a picture of my outline. So. Yeah, well, it's kind of hard to read because it's a picture of a notebook piece of paper <laughs> with your yeah. handwriting. I Yeah, I have pretty terrible handwriting. I apologize for that. So I'm going to let you just kind of have to take the reins here and just hope you don't crash and burn. Right. I will try not to. I do have a lot of, I want to talk about, so some of it might go a little quick. Just, you know, stop me if I'm going way over your heads or anything. I tried to keep it fairly simple. Um, okay, so I know you said we could skip this, but I really wanted to talk about it because it's something that really bothered me because it's the only thing that was just, like, so wrong that it just made me mad. But Superman's conception at the beginning <laughs> of the movie... Uh, it was just totally off, except for the whole thing of having, like, an incubation chamber in their spacecraft. That was doable. I mean, just think of test tube babies, the same thing. But anyway, you cannot fertilize an egg with cells from your finger. That's total BS. You would end up with a triple set of your chromosomes, which is horrible, 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 horrible for human beings. There are, like, a handful of diseases where you might have triple or in some sex diseases where you have a double Y chromosome, you have two Ys and an X. But Wait, you guys are saying you guys don't launch your genetic material from your fingertips? Um, no. You see, I'll be right back. Yeah, I'm calling the doctor. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the, the main reason I didn't – you said I wanted to skip this, and that's right, because we have to let it pass, Grant. Why? Kryptonians are not built the same way as humans. They may look like humans, but there has been no I know. real discussion I know. on how they reproduce, nor technology they have used to create reproductive processes. It's all new I every know. single time. But, like, you always kind of have to associate Superman as kind of human, because he does look like humans, and if you think of him solely as an alien, he's very unrelatable. So, just one more thing about that whole deal. Okay, so again, this is a little speculation, but I thought it was interesting. So, if we're assuming that Superman requires a nine-month gestation period, like humans, and I know we just said he's not a human, but if we assume a nine-month gestation period, he would not be able to... He would be like a 10-year-old by the time he got to Earth because the closest possible inhabitable planet is 13 light-years away. And so with a nine-month gestation period, to get there nine months, he would have to travel at 17 and a third times the speed of light, which is obviously impossible. 
Yeah, but we've so never we've never even studied how humans could like what's the birthing process like without gravity. I don't know. I just is a quick little math thing that I did because I thought it was fascinating to see whether or not the whole <laughs> him only being a newborn baby by the time he got there was even close to right, and it's it's not. It's two orders of magnitude off. Okay. Or one order what? of magnitude off, but whatever. So let's get to the let's get to the big. We'll get three. to the cool parts now. Okay, so the big three. The what three do you want big to start topics. With? All right, what? we have we have yeah. What do you want to start with? We got vampirism, nanites, and lasers. Um, I guess we'll talk about the nanites first. Then, so mm-hmm. I was, I'm kind of going to do this in the the frame of the metal men because they're kind of important as well. So kind of do both at the same time, but the metal men are pretty much ridiculous. There's <laughs> of course they nothing are. <laughs> we have at, like we have nothing at this point that's even close to replicating that technology. And we don't Fantasy really fun have time. Any, yeah, we don't really have nanites either, although those that whole field is something that's really growing. This whole field of nanotechnology is just huge right now. Tons of research and money is going into this. And so the goal is that eventually in the future, humans will have nanites kind of injected into them at birth as a way of being a detector. And so what that would mean is they would detect, say, you're starting to grow cancer cells and send that. And then a doctor would call you and be like, hey, we're starting to pick up traces of cancer. You should come in and we can get that treated before it develops into something really, really bad. Yeah, something to replace x-rays and MRIs. Yeah, exactly. And plus, something that could detect it at a much smaller level. Because by the time you can detect it with an MRI, a tumor is pretty big, mm-hmm. um, relatively speaking. Um, but two, oh. two bits of technology that we could talk about here. Sorry, did you want to say something, Skyler? I was just going to say something along the lines of, oh, we've detected in your brainwave, pattern, brainwave patterns that you uh, harbor some antisocial uh, behaviors in your future. So, uh, kill switch. Oh, oh, we're, we're, what is this? Who, what, what sci-fi dealt with that? The Giver? No. Hold on. I can do this. I can do this. 1984? Mm. No, I got this. Brave New World. Uh, How about all the above? It, it took you a while. Now, there's a lot of sci-fi out there that explore different things. I just finished there reading Starship Troopers. Um, Would you like to know more? Not the movie, the book. Way different. Yes. I know, I know. I'm sure the book was much better. But nanites and metal men. (laughs) Okay, anyway, so nanites are something that's definitely, people think that could happen, that's in the future. We want that to be a thing. It's just nowhere near close. Like, easily, unless somebody makes some unprecedented breakthrough 50 years down the line before we have anything close. Mm -hmm. The other thing with the metal men that I wanted to talk about, though, was uh, how, like, Wonder Woman cuts the arm off of platinum and it just comes back on and reattaches. And the same thing happens with Superman laser visions, another one. And that comes up with another new field of research on self-healing polymers. So those are super cool. But basically they would be used in more of a construction setting. And the idea is it's some organic polymer that you can make and you can break it and it will reassemble itself, so exactly how it sounds. And so far, they have several different methods of doing this. I'm not going to bore you with the details, especially because we don't have a lot of time, but they've only been done in the laboratory and have no large-scale applications yet. But 
that's the only real part of these metal men that I thought was really feasible. Quote Grant, uh, I, I want you to please find a video of any example of a self-healing polymer and put that in the outline. <laughs> please. I want to see a piece um, of like concrete build itself back together. That would be amazing. Well, they haven't been able to do anything with it that big. More on like uh, millimeter to micrometer scale, so very, very small applications, like I said, just in the lab, but it's very promising for large-scale applications. And Ballin. so, moving on to, I think, what are the two really cool uh, science things in this uh, topic, first one being the red sun radiation laser gun. So, I thought this was an interesting take on using something that could beat Superman, was let's make laser guns that use red sun radiation to kill him, because obviously that's a weakness of Superman. Mm -hmm. um, so red sun, if you're into science, you automatically think, okay, that's IR radiation, right? Infrared. Um, which is obviously something that exists, because that's what red stars give out. They give off some low-range red visible light and then tons of IR. Okay. What's IR stand for? We have a for? weapon, infrared. Infrared, Okay. Yes, so I'm going to say IR from now on because it's a little easier. <laughs> but we have the Navy, the U.S. Navy actually has a weapon that is an IR pulse laser. It's called the Laser Weapon System. Really creative there, Navy. There we go, Navy. Um, or, or LAWS for short, L-A-W-S. And as far as I can tell, this would be a very, very good way to fight against Superman. Um, they use it now because it can fry electronics really easily, so they use it to shoot down drones, which is pretty neat. That's awesome. <laughs> um, yes, it is awesome. And it can also cause some health issues, especially to your eyes. Um, so it can also hurt humans, uh, which is also kind of cool. But what's wrong with it and the portrayal that they have in the movie, it would not be blockable. So that whole thing where Wonder Woman's like deflecting it with her sword is ridiculous because light's a wave. It can just kind of A, go around it and it wouldn't deflect. At, at, at best, it would just kind of absorb by the sword, but really it's not a blockable thing. There would also be no visible pulse, and I know that's lame for a movie, so you kind of have to give it a laser pulse, but you would be able to see it as it's hitting him, so like you'd see like maybe maybe a red dot on Superman's chest or something, but that's only if it was visible, which visible red light is not harmful to Superman, or else he would be screwed all the time. Um, <laughs> or all of us would be all the time. Yeah. Uh, there's also would be no kickback, so like Superman would not feel a force hitting him. His only downside would be he would slowly start to feel weaker as it drains his energy, which leads me to my other point that like, he would have to be getting hit with this a ton to counteract the amount of uh, light he's getting from the sun that's powering him up. So it, it's feasible, and it's a neat piece of technology that the Navy has, but as far as like the portrayal in the movie goes, it's a little bit off base. But still... Still was Superman. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, it's a superhero movie, so what are you going to do? But I don't know. I didn't even know about this. Uh, laws system until I, I looked it up for this because I was like, oh, I can talk about IR guns. That might be kind of neat. And then I looked that up and saw it and 
I was like, man, this is this is but, awesome. Yeah, I mean, like the future of defense technology too, considering drone warfare. Yeah, how uh, much everybody wants to go to a humanless battle zone. Um, mm-hmm. These sorts of weapons might become more and more commonplace. Speaking of becoming humanless, let's talk about <laughs> vampirism. Okay, this is the one I saved for last because it's definitely the one I'm most excited about, you know, being a pre-med student. Um, so talk about Kirk's issues that he has. So he's obviously doing research to solve some sort of blood disorder that he already possesses or something. So He's got cancer. They never... They never specify, do they, in the movie? I didn't think they did. Um, uh, they, nah, yeah, you're right. Uh, it's it's implied that he has cancer, and it's sort of written in a synopsis that he has cancer. Okay, because I guess, okay, so that would be a, a lymphoma or something like that. Um, he could also have had some sort of sickle cell disease, would have also been uh, a possibility. I was thinking it was likely a virus because they keep talking about hemagglutination tests which is something you use to test for virus concentration. Uh, so I was thinking maybe it's an HIV-type deal, which would be a, a blood-borne virus. Okay. Let's um, go with that. <laughs> uh, it, I don't know. Like, they don't specify. It could be one of any very large number of things, but I don't really know why they were going with bats as a cure for that. That was, I think, some major pseudoscience or at least something that I was not familiar with because... Kirk Langstrom is man bat, and he becomes Batman. It's got I mean, to deal with obviously bats. they had to use bats to fit the plot. But from the science standpoint, bats tend to be carriers of disease much more than they are used as <laughs> helpers to fight disease. So, mm-hmm. you know, fun fact. Sorry, learned this the other day in class that um, bats are either the first or second largest group of mammals as far as number of subspecies, so interesting fun fact. Sorry, it's a little off topic. <laughs> but yeah, there are more types of bats than any other type of mammal. Oh. Um, anyway, there are two diseases out there that do exist that kind of have been called vampire diseases. And so there's one that's called Renfield Syndrome, and that's a a psychiatric vampirism disease, and it's where you start craving blood because you have a uh, a problem in your brain. But that's a psychotic disease. They don't really know what causes it. Um, is I'm that guessing a, it's typically some sort of trauma? Yeah. Is that named specifically for the character of Renfield in uh, Dracula? You know, I don't know. It's been a really long time since I read Dracula, and I did not think of that when I was looking this up. It's got to be yes. You're telling me, as a coincidence, the doctor who discovered this was also named Renfield? (laughs) Hey, you never know. It could be, but I'm not 100% sure. (laughs) I'm going to guess Skylar's probably right because this is the only disease. That's a real thing? Craving blood? Yeah. I mean, it's super rare, like most psychiatric disorders are, other than maybe schizophrenia or some minor ones like OCD. But, yeah, it is a real thing, very well documented. Um, the other one is porphyrias, which is where so hemoglobin in your blood that carries oxygen is made up of porphyrins, which is just a chemical name for this ring structure. Not important. 
but uh, porphyrias are where those ring structures are messed up, so your blood can't carry oxygen very well, and it clots a lot and causes all kinds of other problems. And so what people have dubbed the quote-unquote vampire disease is uh, porf porphyric hemophilia, which is not a real thing. But if in a lot of vampire-like mythology, uh, they have decided to give vampires this bacteria that they spread through biting other people, and it causes uh, porphyric hemophilia. So it's kind of based off a real disease, but it's not a real disease. But porphyrias have been, like, they cause vampire symptoms. So people get really pale skin because they can't, getting good blood flow to their face and other areas. Um, Sunlight their hurts? start to... What? Sunlight hurts? Yes, they do have an aversion to sunlight, actually. That's another symptom. Uh, and actually an aversion to garlic, too. So a lot of these like classic signs of being a vampire and having a porphyric disease. Um, the other one being their gums start to die and degrade, and so their teeth look a lot longer. Um, oh, wow. But the whole sucking blood thing is not a part of this. And actually, a, a big um, treatment option for porphyric diseases is a phlebotomy, which is basically where they drain your blood and get rid of all of the crap in it. So from these uh, messed up porphyrins, and so that's obviously the opposite of vampire vampire More blood, a phlebotomy gets rid of blood. So, yeah, now, that one now a, vampire lore, a lot of it based on Dracula, and Dracula is based on the real person Vlad the Impaler. Is there any documentation that v the Vlad the Impaler of Transylvania had porphyric diseases? Um, you know, I did not look that up. I don't think he did because he was known as being kind of a badass and he killed a lot of people you okay. know, himself, not just like uh, having other people do it. And porphyria makes you pretty weak. You have very low blood flow to your like muscles. They don't grow very well. You, you really um, would lose a lot of what made Vlad the Impaler such a great warrior if you had porphyria. So probably not. Certainly not enough strength to lift a human body onto a spike. Yeah, and I, I've looked up like stuff about him impaling things, and normally he had other people like do that. But in battle, he would he would be out there. He'd kill people. He was not just a guy to sit back and let his armies do all the work. Okay. Man, that's some really good stuff on vampirism. Not going to lie. But I have more, actually. So, oh, oh um, one more. Okay, one. Okay, Just this one. is this is, has to do with the superpowers part, not so much the vampire like aspect. So you, obviously, Batman can see an IR. They have that one shot of him uh, having heat vision. Um, well, not heat vision, but he can see heat. Um, that's not possible. That would not happen. You would have to do some like serious genetic manipulation from a prenatal genetic manipulation for that to happen in a human. So mm -hmm. getting it post being an adult is definitely very impractical because it would require a whole new set of transporters in your uh, eye cells to be able to do that. And so that's not possible. But 
there are diseases that cause super speed and super strength because they cause muscular hypertrophy, which is where you just get um, excess muscle growth. So if he had a combination of Renfield syndrome, porphyria, chemo or a porphyria um, disease, porphyria disease, and some sort of muscle hypertrophy all at the same time, Batman is totally feasible in this movie. All right, and as well as being a you know a genetic genius, yeah, with the ability to sort of control his symptoms and his bloodlust. How's that for? Oh, yeah. It's just superhero stuff. Yeah, take that, real world. <laughs> this is why we have the science section. Oh, okay, Grant, you've taken us on a journey there. Whew. Yeah, I had a lot to talk about, and I definitely went through that kind of fast. But it was fun. <laughs> I enjoyed it. That's fast for you, Grant. <laughs> oh, man. So. Well, oh. hey, if any of those viewers out there, have, or listeners, sorry, have any questions about it, they can ask the question on the Twitter account and I will answer it. That is true. We have. Um, we're probably you can also ask questions under when we post the show notes to this episode. We'll plug all that later, don't you worry. Cause right now we're gonna do drinking game rules. And I see Grant's gotten started. You just took a swig of your craft. Yeah, beer. that's uh almost the end of my second beer since the start <laughs> of this episode. So. <laughs> so what this is, we developed drinking game rules for if you were to ever watch this show with your buddies or by yourself, um and Rules, of course, and when you should take drinks and how much you should drink during those events. So, who would like to start us out? I can do it. Take a drink when you realize that Lex Luthor is supposed to be Stephen Hawking. <laughs> the real world Stephen Hawking. Do you think if Stephen Hawking, uh, if a Superman were real, Stephen Hawking would have a seeding resentment for him? It's possible. Uh, I'd like to think not. he's. I'd like to think he's more of a stand-up guy than that, but oh, boo you! That wasn't right. that wasn't even a pun until. Oh. Oh, <laughs> come on, like I didn't even notice you the pun until you pointed it out. You just straight oh, up. That was good though. <laughs> uh, take a drink every time someone is murdered on screen. Good luck, viewers. Because we're starting yeah, out the gate strong. <laughs> there's there's definitely yeah, laws of of no murder, um, but when the murder happens, it hits it hits you hard. Like you're gonna be hitting it hard. Yeah. All right. Well, my favorite was take a shot when Michael C. Hall maybe portrayed emotion. Oh, <laughs> oh. Take a shot. <laughs> Take a shot when any of Michael C. Hall's dialogue could have been a Dexter line. <laughs> that's yes, that's good. Oh, that that's that's really creative. I like that one. Um, if you're doing this with a nerd friend, beware, because every time they say the alter ego of a character, such as Victor Freeze, and someone shouts out Mr. Freeze and points at someone, that person has to take a drink. For every single time a new character is introduced. So when you saw Karen Beecher show up, if someone points and yells Bumblebee at a person, that person has to take a drink. 
Very you're right. That wouldn't be fun to play with the three of us because we'd all be shouting all the time. <laughs> That's what makes it fun. We know Which what's going all be drinking. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we know what's happening. That's the whole like we're expecting you to have already seen this movie once and now you're getting the rules to the drinking game so the next time you see it you're ready. <laughs> and all your friends won't be so you can get them plastered and then laugh. <laughs> it's true. Uh, any more? Take a drink out of respect that they didn't make Superman a um, Hispanic American stereotype. Oh, so the, like a lot of the Hispanic stuff was really subtle. I mean, he spoke a little Spanish. Uh, he he had, I mean, the goatee. I don't know if you would consider that uh, as a Latino kind of thing, but I consider that a Zod thing. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking too. Was just because Zod had a goatee at the beginning. It's just one mm-hmm. of those kind of weird genetic things that happened to get passed on. Like, oh, Superman thought that guy looked good. <laughs> and, well, it's he, yeah, he saw his picture. He used to think Zod was his hero. Um, and so take a shot every time there is a flashback. So that's how you know you're moving along in the movie. Act one, act two, act three. Because the movie starts with the flashbacks. So you just got to, boom, there you go. And then you get through the credits, nothing really happens, but then you got to start drinking during that bunker raid because people are dying left and right. Also, I don't know if you should take a drink for it, but uh, <laughs> because this will be a, more of an out and about on the town thing, but every time you see this movie in the kids' aisle, just think about those unsuspecting parents. Mommy, why is he burning to death? Why is he burning to death, Mommy? <laughs> oh, my gosh. They even swear a fair amount of times, for a kid's film at least. Right, for that, yes. They consider the, this a kid's film? Well, marketing does. Isn't this rated PG-13? Yeah, but, you know, it's put in the kid's television aisle. It's not put where adults can see it. We, um, I just know at our store we have our own shelf for comic-based animated stuff that is far away from the kid's aisle. (laughs) Uh, Anyone have a finish the bottle? Finish the bottle if this movie makes you even a little curious to know about the Metal Men. (laughs) Finish the bottle as soon as someone looks up a voice actor on IMDb. Oh, (laughs) that's a dangerous one. (laughs) The first time. Just, you know... Yeah, that person who breaks, who 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 breaks, and is like, oh my gosh, I know that voice, and they crack. They go to IMDb. You go, mm, you lose. Finish your drink. <laughs> You're done. Mm-hmm. How about finish the bottle anytime someone you thought was dead reshows up? <laughs> so two times, three times, hey, three times, just that's three. Times. Still frequent enough to have it be in the movie. <laughs> that finale is going to be rocky. <laughs> You're not going to have a good epilogue among your friends, all right? That's all it is. Uh, <laughs> so, oh, speaking of being finished, we are. Look, so it looks like it's going to wrap it up today, super fans. Superhero Movie Club is recorded and produced by Tribe Cop Productions. If you like what you hear, show us your support by rating us on iTunes. We finally got one more rating. Uh, B Basketball, some string of numbers, sent a wonderful love letter to us, and it is very touching. Um, and and I, he def, he or she sent it to us definitely 
before I did my Ghostwriter rant about how I hate all of you for not rating it, um, even though I know you listen. <laughs> so that didn't apply hey, to you. I'm, I'm ready this time. <laughs> that didn't apply to you, B-Basketball, because you, you certainly had rated before that episode was recorded. <laughs> or, sorry, um, before that episode was produced, uh, published. Damn it. Oh, released. Released. You know, I take a lot of tries. And we do consume a little alcohol before starting the show. Grant's on two beers. I'm on two white Russians. Skyler, are you 100% sober? Um, I'm one Mountain Dew down. Oh, good for you, buddy. All <laughs> right. Pick us up, blue text. Hey, I'm actually ready for this this time. If you want to keep talking about any episode with us, we encourage discussion on our subreddit, r slash superhero movie club. We want to know any fun facts you have on the movie. Also, the Twitter account. So that's not in here, but I'm going to mention it anyway. Oh, wait, shit. I'm sorry. That was supposed to be sorry. <laughs> that's my shtick, motherfucker. <laughs> Grant, the important lesson of today is read and prepare. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh, that's that's totally my bad. I will definitely read... I would definitely read the outline before the next one if you are gracious enough to invite me back on. Skylar, finish us off. All right, so as I've heard, we you can also hit us up at our Twitter account, at SuperheroMC, to continue the discussion of Justice League Gods and Monsters and or any other superhero-related news that may come your way and ours. Currently running our Twitter account is the ever-beautiful and gracious Twitter Tom. Uh, he's doing a stellar job, by the way. Um, and he he just wants to talk to people about superhero movies. So be a pal. Talk to Twitter Tom, okay? Because uh, <laughs> he loves it more than any of us. <laughs> His passion is just charming. It is. It is. So that'll do it today. I'm your host, Michael Maurer. James Skyler Houtsma. And Grant Austin. And I hope you all have a super week. Cheap cheek faker, looking like a poor man's off the baker.